Good morning. My name's Matt. I'm a pastor at City Reform. We're dismissing our children for Children's Church. We um, here are working through a sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, moving towards the end of a sermon by Jesus known as the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in this for probably uh, six or seven weeks at this point. Um, next week, we have praying, a Praying Life seminar, Friday and Saturday, and that speaker will be preaching on Sunday. So it'll be a weekend of focus on prayer. The following week, I'll be at a wedding, and Joseph will close out uh, not only uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but this section of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll, we'll put Matthew on pause. Uh, come back to it in the future. Uh, the plan is to uh, move to a sort of a different part of the Bible, uh, move to an Old Testament book and move through the, the Old Testament prophetic book of Zechariah in the spring. So that's just a headline of where we're going. Um, this week we're, we are moving towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus uh, shares probably the, one of the most famous Bible verses of all time. Uh, which is, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, known as the golden rule. Also, he begins with a form of expression of how we care for others by a warning against judgment. And if uh, the golden rule is the, maybe one of the most famous Bible verses of all time, his warning, judge not that you be not judged, is probably one of the all-time favorites. Uh, often used in, in a variety of contexts, and I would say often misused. Um, but we'll talk today about what it means uh, to judge wrongly and to judge rightly. Um, but in the meantime, uh, as I read this passage, I'm going to uh, give you all an opportunity to judge me. I left my glasses at home. I'm borrowing glasses from a friend because I can't read this without them. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you think I'm wearing... Uh, what uh, we affectionately call middle-aged grandmother glasses, you're right. Um, and if you judge me, you're going to be judged too, so take that. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's an interesting and, and challenging beginning. Jesus says, judge not in that you may not be judged. That's a pretty challenging thing for us to understand for a number of reasons. Uh, I would say that uh, probably uh, during the 90s when I was in college, 
this would have been considered every American's favorite verse. Um, very much the spirit of, of the age in the 90s was one in which any form of judgment was considered to be improper. Uh, the general sort of thinking that was popular at the time is that none of us knew for sure whether something was true. And then if we were judging someone else, we, we were uh, improperly uh, uh, making a value statement on them that was more absolute than it ever could be. Uh, the watchword of the day was tolerance or toleration. Now, there were a lot of good and wise impulses here, and I think we can also recognize some uh, really uh, imbalanced ones. And first of all, people who were too judgmental were generally judged quickly. If you, if you were ever called judgmental, you may have found yourself thinking, wait a second, aren't you judging me? But the spirit of our age is different today. Um, uh, we are not as much in a, a time or a season where people are cautious about judgment. Um, but we are in a time where judging is done more rampantly. I think people have come to realize that uh, uh, no judging at all was never a realistic position. The pendulum has swung very much the opposite direction. And I think most of us recognize the time and the spirit of our age is not one of tolerance, uh, but one in which there is intense scrutiny and often rampant judgmentalism. And sometimes for, for good reasons, we recognize that failures to judge can cause great problems. Uh, we recognize that the world is full of problems, justices and injustices, and that our failure to make judgments can often make us complicit with injustice. Uh, this pendulum has swung the opposite way, however, and uh, we live in a time in which judgment is often done very quickly. Uh, we live in a, a day and an age where uh, people are quick to judge others. We are a polarized time. And that sometimes uh, a, a single misstep, a single mispost online has cost people not only their reputation but also their careers. We live in an age of, of, of fairly quick judgments, don't we? And my guess is many of you here today uh, also have significant areas of your life where you feel judged. Perhaps you live under the weight of unjust judgment or the fear of not measuring up. Perhaps you're in a setting where um, you look around and, and you think that maybe if everyone knew who you were, they wouldn't want you there. Uh, maybe you feel that in your workplace. Uh, people call it imposter syndrome, uh, where you look around and you think, man, I'm the only person in my, in my program that doesn't really know what I'm talking about. And if they really knew, I wouldn't be here. Or perhaps you feel that same imposter syndrome here this morning. You come into church and you think everyone else around me has it together. If they really knew who I was, they wouldn't want to sit next to me. Now, I happen to know, because I know many of you, that it's pretty likely that two of you this morning are sitting right next to each other thinking the same thing. There's a better than average chance the person next to you is feeling exactly the same way. The truth is, however, we, we struggle with judgments. We struggle with judging. And we struggle even to know what to do with this verse. Judge not that we be not judged. The first thing we want to point out is that Jesus is giving a warning about judging. He's not ruling out judging altogether. Uh, sometimes this sort of, a, again, if you were a child of the 90s, you would know how much this was a, a prevalent line of thinking. Oh, those judgmental Christians, uh, doesn't, they, don't, they know that Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Jesus is giving us a warning, 
but it's very clear that Jesus is not saying that no human should make judgments. Let me just point out why. Uh, it wouldn't take us long to survey a range of biblical teaching in which Christians are called to make judgments in a variety of areas. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 specifically calls the church to judge redemptively or to make judgments about members so that we can live at peace. Jesus himself calls people into the process of judging. This morning in our adult Sunday school class, we were looking at a section called Matthew 18 where Jesus talks about a scenario where a brother sins against us and we seek reconciliation and restoration. That process can't be done without a certain type of judgment. But the very passage we're looking at today is actually a passage full of things that we might call judging. Uh, first of all, Jesus is talking about the need to help a brother take a speck out of his eye. But what he's talking about there is not, he's not appealing to people to all become ophthalmologists. Um, but rather, he's talking metaphorically about a problem. It's very clear in the text, isn't it? He says, your brother has a problem, i.e. a speck in his eye. Your brother has sinned. Your brother has hurt you or harmed you. Your brother has a moral flaw. Will you help him or her take that out of their eye? Now, he warns us about the context in which we do it, how we do it, our attitude in our, and, and the, the, the way in which we engage. But in order to take a speck out of someone's eye, you have to make a judgment. Uh, furthermore, uh, Jesus warns us that there are some situations... Is it me? This. Okay. This is a different jacket than normal. Maybe it's <laughs> causing static. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> There's ever occasion where you think, what if I'm standing in front of a ton of people and I look foolish? You know, this is, you could, I could be on the edge of that right now. Anyway, I'm thankful uh, for your graciousness and uh, slowness to judge me. Anyway, here we are. Uh, Jesus, what does he do? Don't throw your pearls to swine. Again, he's not talking about pigs or jewelry. He's talking about a scenario where something precious is given to someone who doesn't appreciate it. He says, you don't have to give something precious to a person who doesn't appreciate it. It's a proverbial saying that could have many uses, but in this, in this context, it clearly implies that we have to make a judgment about a situation and say, I'm, I'm not sharing this precious thing with this person in this context. Well, that's a judgment, isn't it? And finally, what does Jesus say to the, as a warning to the people? He says to them in verse 5, you hypocrite. Eh, you might be thinking, Jesus, that's a little bit of a judgy word to use, isn't it? I mean, it's about as judgy as you could get. Jesus is not saying you never judge, but he is saying there's a warning. There's a warning that our judgment can be really wrong. In fact, we reflexively judge wrongly. What he's calling us to is a redemptive form of judgment. Uh, making real assessments about a situation, not for our own selfish purposes or for our pride, but for the purpose of restoration and help for someone else. That's a hard process. Today we'll, we'll do uh, three things. We'll first of all see what he's warning us about, what he's calling us to, but finally we'll look at a couple of encouragements. Because if we really get what Jesus is talking about, it's hard and we need help. So what, what do we see as, as we move forward? Jesus said there's a, a wrong judging and a right judging. 
uh, first of all, what is this wrong way to, to judge? Uh, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For, the, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, Jesus is warning us that we can judge in ways that are dangerous. In fact, our reflexive active action as people is to really use a double standard. We tend to be very uh, merciful to ourselves, generous to ourselves, and critical of other people. I'll tell you the example where I see this uh, most readily. In fact, the Lord in his goodness and grace gave me an example this morning. When I'm driving through Oakland and people step out into the street without looking as if they're the only people on the planet and no one else has anywhere to go, I get really angry. College students do this sometimes, most of the time. And driving, especially when you're in a hurry, if you're late uh, and teaching Sunday school like I was this morning, it was particularly aggravating. I do this often. I drive through Oakland and I get frustrated and I park the car and I get out. And do you know what I do when I get out of the car? I almost always do the exact same thing that drove me crazy about other people. It's cold out and I'm going to hurry. I'm not going to wait on the curb. There's a crosswalk. I'm going to go. I I act so differently about walking in the street, whether I'm driving or walking. You don't ever do that, do you? Or how about when, you, when you're driving and when someone cuts you off and you're like, why did you do that to me as you veer in front of someone else? When someone cuts us off, what do we instantly picture? We picture that they're in their car and they, they have a picture of who we are and they're looking at us and they are saying, I'm going to get you. In reality, they're not thinking about us at all. When we're cut off, we think, why are you doing this to me, child of the devil? <laughs> and that person in the car doesn't even know we exist, right? And how do we drive? Do, do you drive? Do you get in the road and, and drive, those of you that drive, and think, how can I today show love and concern for the people around me how can, I, how can I gently and graciously consider the rights of these other drivers ahead of my own? Maybe sometimes, but often not. We use a different standard between the two. When, when we do something wrong and someone calls us out on it, what's our first impulse? It's usually not to say, boy, you, you could be accurately showing me a speck in my eye. I'm so thankful that you pointed out my problem. Most often not, right? Most often, we are very quick to say, well, no, you don't understand. Is anyone here good at defending their own actions? Perhaps pointing out why it's someone else's fault? I mean, really, reflexively, we are experts in explaining the context of all of our relationships so that it's really not our fault. Or if it is, it's very smallly our fault. It's mostly your fault. It's half your fault, so half forgive me. I heard that line in a song recently. I thought that was pretty good. By contrast, when it comes to other people, we usually interpret their actions in the worst possible light. That's what Jesus is warning about here. And he says, do you know that the judgment you use is the standard you'll be held to? That's a, that's a stark warning, isn't it? He goes on to create a scenario where he says, your brother has a speck in his eye. And in this story... You notice Jesus is not suggesting that no one has a problem. He actually acknowledges your brother has a speck in his eye, there's a problem. But rather than seeking to restore, 
you are unable to help because you have a log in your own eye. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's underlining this reality that our sense of judgment is easily distorted by self. Whatever's happening, it's distorted by the gravitational pull of self-concern. So, I mean, this is a pretty funny picture, isn't it? Jesus is describing a scenario where a person is, uh, is with a literal log in their eye is saying, let me help you. And we all think of that and say, oh, that can't possibly work. Jesus warns us that our force of uh, uh, reflexive impulse and judgment is distorted. There's a couple of consequences. Jesus says that with the measure you judge, you, you will be judged. And first and foremost, it has, I think, just a very practical level in the here and now. That even though we seek to distort our lens, in reality, when we give ourselves over to judgmentalism, when we judge harshly, we will feel it ourselves. I often find a connection that, uh, that when people are, are most critical of others, they're often, very often, struggling with a sense of inferiority. Perhaps these things move back and forth that we find when we feel weak, we seek to bring others down. But the harsher we judge others, the more we feel everyone is perhaps judging us. Or perhaps the very thing that we have held others and been critical of others, when we realize we've done it, we feel the burden of condemnation. I was reflecting on how this works out in my life, and I'm ashamed to say that sometimes I am given over to judging other pastors. You hear of a problem in a church or a situation or a scenario, it is comforting to figure out why that pastor failed and what they did wrong. And to remind myself that I would never do such a thing until I do. When, when you labor under the burden of failing in the place where you've judged other people harshly, without grace or mercy, there is a weight of judgment that is so much heavier than it needs to be. And practically speaking, there are situations where we're, we face some problem in our church and I think, why am I feeling so heavy about this and as I trace it back I realize all those times I judged other churches and other pastors and now we've got this problem and I am feeling the weight of the judgment I gave to others very real very real connection very practical but I think Jesus is pointing to something else he's inviting us to think in a, a cosmic sense who is it that judges us ultimately it's God it will be through Jesus, his Christ, that we are judged, but there is a divine judgment given to us. And I think Jesus is inviting us to think of this. If you were to stand before God on the last day and to be judged, if you were judged only by those things you said about other people, what would happen? Now, the true standard is the character of God and his perfection, but I think it's a helpful window into the reality of our condition. If you were judged and the, and the only basis of your judgment was all the critical things you said about other people and your life was then revealed in its entirety and complete honesty, what would your judgment be like? It's really a frightening prospect, isn't it? What if, what if simply to use the car analogy, every... Uh, a critical thing you've ever said of another driver was used as the standard and then just an absolute picture of your driving history was displayed 
for the whole world to see in the presence of God, what would happen? Uh, let alone our conduct in so many other areas. I think Jesus is calling us here to remember our need for grace. But he's also calling us to something else. It's not just a, a prohibition, but there's actually a call to what we can say is redemptive justice, judging. In, in other words, Jesus says your brother really can have a speck in his eye. And, and gospel community is a place where we really do care about the needs of others. We're not actually being friends when we say to people, it's never a big deal. Sometimes it's a big deal. God intends to use our words and our lives and our actions to be effective instruments in the growth of other people. In, in Ephesians 4, Paul describes the church growing up to be more like Jesus. And he says, speaking the truth in love, we grow up into him who is the head. And the principle is God does expect that our words can be used. We could actually help someone get something out of their eye. But before we do it, we have to be uh, uh, self-reflective. If we think we can barge into a situation and tell people what's what and don't examine our own motivation or know what's going on, we could be the ophthalmologist with the proverbial log in the eye. It calls us, actually, into a form of judging, but a redemptive judging, a judging that seeks the good of others, that's willing to enter in and engage, even risk the burden of feeling the weight of judgment ourselves. Even risk rejection as we speak to others about a speck in their eye. Even risk the weight of conflict. Often I find it easier to steer clear entirely. It's easier not to engage at all. Perhaps to comfort ourselves by saying, well, I'm not going to judge. When in reality the loving thing is to speak truth and to enter in. Even if we may not be entirely certain of what we see. Jesus calls us to a redemptive judging, a judging that seeks, to see, that seeks the good of the other, that speaks truth in love, knowing our own weakness, that desires to take the speck out of our brother's eye. The larger context, of course, in the, uh, the, this whole Sermon on the Mount is the context of love. Jesus here summarizes at the end of this section uh, what he's been talking about for many chapters now. What is, the, what is the real ethic of the Christian life? What is the law and the prophets? How do we read God's command for us? Jesus summarizes it by saying, seek to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The end of this section is really the end of the, much of the Sermon on the Mount after his introduction. Jesus takes the commands of God, he interprets them more deeply and strongly and says, your call to love is greater than you can imagine. What would you really want if you had a speck in your eye? What you want someone to tell you? What would you really want if, if you were blinded by your own sin, if you were moving into a path of destruction? What would you really want if the truth was you were rebelling against the eternal God, hurtling headlong towards the, the final judgment in which every deed will be seen in its entirety? Wouldn't you want someone to tell you? So risky as it may be, dangerous as it may be, frightening or vulnerable as it may be, there is a redemptive call to judge. And carefully, self-reflectively, prayerfully to help others take the speck out of their eye. Well, this is hard. There's a, a wrong judging, there is a redemptive judging, and let's be honest, loving others is hard. Whether it's speaking truth and love 
or seeking to come alongside people as they struggle. Final thing we want to do is look for encouragement in this passage. Nothing will show our need for God's help quicker than entering into conflict with someone else, trying to do it redemptively. You, you try to help your brother with the speck in his eye, try to be self-reflective for the log in your own eye, you will see very quickly your need for help. A conflict bigger than you could solve on your own. Or perhaps the very burden of the problem you're entering into begins to fall on your own shoulders. This is hard. And I think one of the reasons that we can be so quick to say judge not without its context is because it's easier not to enter in. It's easier not to be engaged. It's easier not to get involved. I think there's three things that we see in the passage we'll look at just in closing that can be an encouragement. First of all, this sort of strange verse about the, the, the pearls and the, and the pigs. I think Jesus is telling us that uh, there are situations in which our help will not be received and there's nothing we can do. Many scholars have wondered why these verses fit together and, and I'll be honest, it's not entirely clear. The, the proverb is here about not giving the dogs what is holy or throwing the pearls before the pigs is in some ways a counterbalance to the statements about judging. But I think it's also uh, perhaps, I say perhaps, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it's also a really helpful corrective as we think about the hard work of seeking redemptive redemption and growth. The principle means that there are precious things that we may not give in a situation when we determine they won't be received. You're not, you're not called to share everything personal about yourself with someone who doesn't show any regard for you. It's a helpful thing to remember. But I think in its context, it, it may be functioning as a helpful balance that says, in some situations, you may try to offer help and a person won't receive it. It, it may be that what Jesus is thinking here in particular is the scenario where you go to your brother about the problem in his eye and he won't hear you. And perhaps all you can do is conclude, if you won't receive what I have to offer, there's nothing else I can do. And it may actually be a really, really helpful reality check that in this hard business of redemptive judging, in this hard business of seeking restoration where there is sin, costly as it may be, that there may be times we conclude there's really nothing I can do here. I think it's just a, a, real, a, a real scenario that we, we can encounter. I've offered my help, it's not been received, there's nothing more I can do. I think, I think we, can, we can see that as a balance in our whole equation. I take far more comfort from what Jesus says next. Because following this discussion of the dangers of judging and the call to seek to help others with the specks in their eye, Jesus tells us the thing we really need to hear, which is God promises to bring help. Again, there's, there's not as tight a link between these sections as uh, we might otherwise hope for, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus returns to the theme of prayer after moving us through this difficult and rigorous process of how we guard against wrong judging and how we help others with a speck in their eye. You see, the thing we most need to know if we're going to be involved in processes of redemption or restoration 
is that God gives grace to those that ask. Loving others as we love ourselves is hard, whether that means a, speaking a word of truth and love, or whether it means seeking to love people and be long-suffering. Loving is hard. Loving others as we would love ourselves is not easy to do. It's why we don't naturally do it. In the midst of this, Jesus gives us such a strong reminder of God's absolute purposes and commitment to us. Commitment to give help where it's needed. Ask, Jesus says, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and then the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then Jesus goes on to tell us this great truth about the character of God. Jesus says even humans give good things to their children when they're asked. And Jesus is not at all uh, uh, optimistic about the reality of human nature. He says even you who are evil have fathers that give good gifts to their kids. Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. He says, I know what you're like, but even you, you don't give your, your kid a stone when they say, can I have some bread? You don't, you don't when, they, when they ask for a fish, you don't sneak them a snake. The vast majority of human fathers don't. There are some that may. Even in our weakness and our brokenness, we know how to give good gifts to our children. Jesus says, how much more your heavenly father Will he give you what you ask for? How, how much more will your heavenly father give good gift, good, good things to those who ask him? Your heavenly father is committed to, to working in your life for his redemptive purposes. When you embrace this call of helping to helping someone with the speck in their eye, when you have been confronted with the log in your own eye, these uh, when, when you recognize the standard of judgment that would crush you, we return to this great hope. We have a heavenly father who gives grace and help. And you're not on your own. Why is it we're, we're slow to engage or slow to love others as we would love ourselves? It's usually because we're fearful that we have to ration our resources, our strength, our emotional energy. But Jesus says, you're not the end of the equation. You have a Father in heaven who is quick to give. Doesn't that give us confidence to enter in? To love where it's costly? To speak truth where it's difficult? To seek redemption when it's hard? Third and finally, the, the final encouragement, the great encouragement of all is that we enter this complicated area of judging and judgmentalism. We remember that on the cross, Jesus was condemned for us and that our final judgment is secure in him it is true in the last day our works will be revealed for what they are that some of the things we do will be exposed as being selfish or being a waste of time those warnings are given in the bible there is a sense in which the final judgment reveals all things but the good news of the gospel is that those who have looked to Jesus in hope, who have entrusted their self to him, are in him by faith. And that on the cross, our sin was judged. The, the good news of this gospel message is proclaimed for us in many places, but I found my think, myself thinking of Romans chapter 8, this 
famous statement of the Apostle Paul. Here Paul says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No final absolute condemnation. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In Jesus, sin was condemned. And Paul says, those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Friends, uh, the log is still going to be in your eye sometimes. And even your best attempts to help your brother, you're going to sometimes find it. Maybe you thought you were getting it out, but you just poked him in the eye. And your dealings with confrontation will sometimes come back to land heavily upon you. The weight of your failure, your sin, your problems will threaten to weigh you down. And so, yes, we live in the power of the Spirit seeking redemption, restoration, freedom, and love. But all of this is undergirded by a confidence that there is forgiveness in Jesus. We dare not enter into a topic of judging without remembering that ultimately, He, the perfect Son of God, was judged in our place. That's our confidence to enter in. On the first Sunday of every month, we close by eating the meal that Jesus gave us. In this meal, Jesus is saying to us, my body was given for you. My blood was shed for you. Your sin was judged on the cross in me. This is the Lord's Supper. And it's God's intention that you eat this meal. You would grasp that truth, not only intellectually, but you would literally take it with your hands. That with your hands you would say, this was done for me. This is the cost of the judgment that my sin deserved and is paid in full. Let's pray together.